It's Saturday, February 18th, 2023, and welcome to episode 22 of The Mike Newman Show, where once again, Dr. Tim and I get together at our favorite North Austin eatery for um, chatting a little bit about um, continuing the discussion last time on uh, some of Tim's early um, career activities relating uh, satellite technology uh, digital communication and so forth in, in his career and some of the fun little stories that came along the way. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy the discussion, and I'll catch up with you after the main part of the show. Yeah, so last time we wrapped up with uh, the team that Slumberger had contracted with, or you guys were evaluating, I, I forget exactly what stage of things were, but one of the gentlemen that was on the very calm and peaceful trip to the platform just off Oxnard, he had the, the joy and privilege of going to the North Sea to repeat the exercise, and it, it things indeed. went different for him up there. Yeah, the, the North Sea is a, uh, is, is a very different environment. Uh, the, the Europeans, particularly the Norwegians, I guess, uh, control uh, a lot of the standards that mm-hmm. go into drilling in the in the North Sea, and they've had early on they had some really bad experiences with uh, platforms blowing up and lots of people getting killed, mm. and so they really have developed very strict standards. Probably the, the strictest standards for operating in an offshore environment uh, were in the North Sea. So literally to get on board the uh, the drilling platform, uh, certainly to the extent of being able to get out on the uh, on the working surfaces of the of the platform, mm-hmm. you had to go through a several day. I think it perhaps was as much as a week training in uh, safety procedures. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to wear uh, special gear, uh, special uh, uh, jumpsuits, if you will, right? Uh, because if you fell overboard, your survival time was in the in the in the minutes. Low, low minutes yeah. at, at, at best. And uh, moreover, uh, the, the platform itself had uh, uh, natural gas. They were, they were reducing natural gas. So, so if you got minor leaks and the like, you could uh, uh, have a stray spark and mm-hmm. spark an explosion. Trouble. And so there, there, was a, there was a training period mm-hmm. uh, of several days to get on the platform uh, when it came time to go, you took a helicopter out, sure, and uh, landing on a, a, a semi-submersible, which can actually move, yeah, uh, in a helicopter uh, in, a, in a in gale force winds in the North Sea was 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 kind of tough as well. Uh, and the the, the 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 one other thing I'll mention that, that the, the strict. Uh, uh, safety procedures on the North Sea platforms, there, there was an area uh, right around the, the drill head uh, where the, where the uh, drill stem goes through the platform down to the surface of the ocean and then drills a hole. Okay. So on the, on the platform, on the platform right, right, around the, right around the, uh, the, the drill stem uh, was an area where to have equipment that operated within that area it had to be "quote unquote" intrinsically safe, which hmm. meant that basically there couldn't be anything about that that could uh, create 
a dangerous environment or a dangerous situation or a dangerous environment. So even a rock that wouldn't explode or anything, it had to be strapped down. Pretty and much things it, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and 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 moreover, it needed to be a, a rock that when you bang something into it, wasn't going to create a spark. spark right. <laughs> so any kind of electrical equipment, uh, it generally had to be extremely low voltage, very mm-hmm. low current, uh, uh, heavily grounded, uh, and, and the like. So it was it was a very 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 strict uh, environment. Right. Uh, that's that's all side issue. The, sure. the main point being that indeed the the, the, the gentleman that uh, that was uh, tasked with going out to do that he he went through pretty much the two extremes uh, that we ran into uh, in the uh, in the operational issues. environment yeah. that yeah. you were going to be drilling in and gathering data. So and gathering data, and, and that was the point of this whole operation was to be able to get data as close to real time uh, directly from the tools themselves or the devices that were traveling with the tools in the in the borehole up to space as the most you know the, the most efficient cost effective when you take the whole math into it of efficiently directing drilling yep. based on the knowledge of the geog- ge- geography and everything else geology and so we we've, we've got this dish now that we can we can Put it next to a drill site or at a drill site in, in a way, and now we want to put it in a truck. Yep. So, and that that was the that was the uh, that, that that pretty much was the standard. That is, go in a truck mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah, yep. had to figure out how. And the the uh, one of the more stringent uh, uh, design requirements was that when you pulled the truck up to the well site. Uh, once you positioned the truck, so once once you had figured out where to put it, mm-hmm. uh, you you put the truck there. You generally put down a couple of uh, of um, uh, I'll just call them supports, stabilizing, uh, stabilizing feet or units, some, so yeah. forth. Yeah, and, and they 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 weren't intended to to lift the weight of the truck off the ground, but they they they, they kind of dug in mm-hmm. so that that as you as you played out uh, cable. Mm-hmm. Down the borehole, you were going to be trying to that the weight of the cable. The more cable you played out, it was going to be trying to pull the truck backward. Sure. And so you had to put down a couple of uh, supports that embedded themselves in the ground and, mm-hmm. and gave the, the truck some support. So once you'd done all that, the right. truck was was positioned. Then within five minutes, you needed to be online uh, with a satellite back to uh, uh, the, the larger station right. uh, somewhere else. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, the, they, they, the the development team kept, to, to kind of cut the the the, the 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 development story short. They, yeah, they, yeah. they came up with a design to do that, uh-huh. and we've we've talked about how do you how do you demonstrate capability very often mm-hmm. uh, uh, for complex systems. It can be you can have a complex set of tests that you have to run, then. You, you, you demonstrate that if it's a network, you demonstrate uh, availability or you demonstrate an ability to operate in bad conditions, mm-hmm. etc. Well, in this particular case, we had the, the requirement that we needed to be able to set up a satellite earth station, power it up and mm-hmm. be online uh, to transmit data, if you will, within five minutes. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the gentleman that was managing 
uh, this effort in, with developed team in Austin. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, pulled off what I thought, I've always thought, was one of the best uh, presentations that I'd ever had ever seen. Uh, and in the course of that, demonstrated this capability of, uh, of this particular earth station. Uh, and that was, we, we had a, a management meeting in Austin. Uh, okay. Basically, uh, uh, line managers from Slumberger districts around the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they were having a meeting. And so we had a, had a show and tell of engineering, mm-hmm. how were various engineering projects coming along. There was interest, uh, certainly, in this uh, ability to, to create a high-speed network away from the well site. And so the, 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 the gentleman uh, uh, that was doing the presentation, he had his, his 15-minute slot to, right. to give an update on, uh, on the development of this system. So he had one, we had one of the other. He, he was an ex-field engineer, had right. been a field engineer. So this was the project manager within Schlumberger, and he's presenting to the other Schlumberger line managers. Presumably, he's doing all this in the big auditorium that yeah, right. right there on, on and, the campus. And, right, and, and he's demonstrating, the, or the presentation was aimed at, uh, at uh, status. What's the status of this project? Right. Now, he had, uh, on our development team, we had, I think we had 10 or 12 people, mm-hmm. uh, mostly uh, engineering nerds, mm-hmm. uh, uh, some RF engineers, software engineers like me. Right. Uh, we had one other field engineer that was uh, on the on the team as well. Uh-huh. So the, the, you just have to picture this auditorium and, and the, the, the the manager uh, standing up at the front. Uh, and this was a, just just for nostalgia's sake. This was kind of a bowl. Um, um, Right, as I recall, so it wasn't like an amphitheater. It was an amphitheater, exactly. Right. So it was, it was very. Um, this this facility in Austin was academically driven, right. so it was it was about teaching in a way, and, and or sharing. So this is this is the perfect. What I'm saying is great environment for everybody to be focused in on what's being presented. Yeah. Right. And so, in the course, he, he got up and he, he began his presentation, and, and and rather unobtrusively, he he clicked the stopwatch when he started, mm-hmm. and he, he started into his presentation, and without any further introduction or anything else, the other field engineer started carrying equipment out mm-hmm. uh, from the from the the, 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 the side. Yeah, like they, stage left stage or stage left, right, right or whatever. He, yeah, he was carrying out equipment, and he, so mm-hmm. he carried out a uh, first carried out a an electric a box of electronic equipment, mm-hmm. and then he carried out a tripod, and then he carried out a uh, a uh, one meter diameter uh, parabolic reflector. Mm-hmm. All right, so he 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 proceeded then to uh, pull out the tripod, set it down, <laughs> stabilize it. He mm-hmm. put the electronics package. On that, on top of that, and then on the front of the electronics package was a, a feed for a, a radio frequency transmitter. Okay. And so he basically hooked the uh, the the, the, the uh, antenna uh, mm-hmm. reflector on that, plugged in the the feed horn of that, and powered on the equipment. Okay. And, and so he just did this mm-hmm. while the, the manager was was giving his spiel, the introduction basically. Right. Yeah. And uh, so when he when he when he when he got to the point, he turned on the power, and 
Yeah, you get a sine wave. Got a sine wave, <laughs> and they, the, the manager clicked the stopwatch, and mm-hmm. it was, you know, three minutes and 30 seconds or something like that. And right. He, he basically said, well, that, that demonstrates our five-minute uh, window. window. And, and we're, we're communicating with the satellite. We've right. obtained signal from the satellite. Uh, yeah. In this yeah. case, we weren't actually talking to the satellite. We were in a building. We I was wondering about much. that. You know. Yeah, so but. we weren't talking. But, but the, the point was mm-hmm. that... that the we, we talked earlier about the idea of uh, at certain frequency in when you operated in certain frequency ranges right you had to do frequency coordination because of interference the this particular system I think I'd mentioned uh, earlier as well one of the one of the more intriguing aspects of this whole development was legal in mm-hmm. nature Mm-hmm. And was handled by uh, an extremely astute attorney in Washington that dealt with the Federal Communications Commission, and we basically demonstrated uh, that early on recognized that from the satellite you get a control channel mm-hmm. uh, that is transmitted by the the satellite back to the Earth, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and in one frequency and then an adjacent frequency, you could transmit control signals to the satellite. Right. <clears throat> so you had a, a back and forth between an earth station and the satellite. And in particular, the, the downlink, the, the, the channel that came from the satellite back to the ground, uh-huh. was unique. Uh, it had, uh, or at least it had a digital stream that could be identified as coming from a very specific satellite. Okay. So it, it, it had a, a satellite's phone number, if you will, like a header on it or something. It, right. that would, yeah. So you, you could you could tell that. So that, that having recognized that early on, the that we we developed the capability that uh, with these very small Earth stations, you set one down, you point it at the sky, and we found out that that it was really easy to point it to the right place in the sky. Uh, you, you almost never miss. So it was very directed. <clears throat> so the ground, when it's communicating to the satellite up in space, it's not diffusing its signal horizontally. It's, it's very focused up. Very so. focused. Yeah, think of it as, as, a, as an extremely narrow cone right. from the satellite pointed upward. And uh, it had expand, that, that cone had expanded out wide enough, if you will, or, mm-hmm. or a large enough circular area that at 22,500 miles, uh, it, it, it was going to intercept the satellite right. without, without really fine-tuning the, the, uh, the positioning on the, on the ground. So okay. we, we found out it was, it was pretty easy. Pretty tight, If you knew in general the azimuth and elevation, you do mm-hmm. what, what, what angle away from true north you need to be pointed Mm-hmm. And at what elevation above the the uh, horizon? Horizon. Uh, then b- both of those were were calculable mm-hmm. uh, at any given location within the United States. Sure. To reach the right satellite, you need to be at this azimuth and elevation. You know that, and you could pretty well eyeball that in without any any trouble at all. Uh, so the satellite would, or the Earth station would, look for this control channel mm-hmm. and identify that it was pointed at the right satellite. Yep. And that turned out to be an extremely interesting thing with respect to the legal 
ramifications of being non-interfering. Mm-hmm. And so our, our uh, attorney was able to build a very nice case mm-hmm. with the Federal Communications Commission that if this earth station can see the, it, it can only transmit if it can see the right satellite. Mm-hmm. So it has an interlock built into it that if it doesn't receive the correct control channel... If it doesn't get the coded signal back correctly... It, it will disable the transmitter. You could yeah. not transmit. Okay. And so that built a strong enough case for the FCC to grant well, what was the first, literally the very first area-wide license. Mm-hmm. It essentially said that with these very small earth stations, you could operate anywhere within the continental United States without any further coordination right and indeed so one of the one of the very first tests that was our operational test not it wasn't a test it was actually mm-hmm. a, a, a real live operation mm-hmm. uh, that was conducted was within the city of Los Angeles interesting there was a, an oil well being drilled oh, with, yeah. there, within the city limits of okay. Los Angeles and so it was a, always a nice story that they were able to wheel up their truck. Put so, up a satellite earth station, start it transmitting without anything else. And sure. You kind of got to figure that there's a lot of other RF yeah. signaling going on within the city of Los Angeles. Yeah. And yet uh, that uh, that little earth station was able to talk to a satellite and transmit mm-hmm. high speed data without any any trouble at uh, at all. So that was a that was a very very innovative license uh, granted by the FCC. Yeah, so, so if I go by memory. We had started in C band, is that right? Well, and ended up in K band. C, C band was C band was the prevalent uh, uh, frequency band for uh, satellite equipment, okay. uh-huh. as, as well as terrestrial microwave right. systems. Uh, and that's important because that meant that all of the electronics that was on the shelf, anything that you could order from a catalog, sure. was going to be C band equipment. Okay, and so. To develop a capability to operate on KU band equipment meant mm-hmm. that the development process had to go back to much more Get basic level equipment. Yeah, closer it, to the physics of things. Yeah, yeah because because you had to you had to design equipment for K band or KU band. Mm-hmm. Uh, you couldn't buy it off the shelf, mm-hmm. and so you you uh, that that had to be developed. Uh, and so that was a that was a, an excellent aspect of the development team. They were able to develop all of the necessary the equipment uh, to operate at KU band and be small enough. You could you could buy you could buy various components that would work at KU band, but mm-hmm. very, very often they were big uh, relative to the size of Earth station that we wanted uh, we wanted to put in play. So uh, remind me. Was KU the destination, or was that just a because it, these are very small dishes now that you right. eventually deployed? And I know we spoke of the, you know, the the basic, you know, um, uh, electromagnetic physics of waves and wavelengths and the dishes that you would use. This, how that impacted the size. I just forget which direction it was. You started at C. C, C band is is somewhere around. There. Let's just say it's around six uh, uh, gigahertz. Okay. okay. And KU band is around twelve gigahertz. Okay. And uh, uh, frequency is inversely proportional to wavelength. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, C-band equipment has, or a C-band uh, uh, electromagnetic signal has a larger, longer wavelength than KU mm-hmm. band. And so that inherent, inherently uh, speaks to the size in particular of the antenna, the reflective uh, right. antenna you're going to use uh, to get similar gains. Mm-hmm. Uh, so KU band equipment could be inherently smaller okay. than C band equipment. So that was working in the right direction. So, okay. so we were driven in that direction mm-hmm. in order to get down to an antenna size that was small enough. But fortuitously, given the fact that, that there was no terrestrial uh, microwave traffic at KU band. Right. And uh, that, 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 simplified the frequency coordination problem mm-hmm. and then further by being able to demonstrate that we could only transmit we could we could put a, a interlocks, so the interlock, in, yeah. interlocks in so that we could only transmit mm-hmm. which, which which was the the, 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 the concern bad part that's yeah. the concern is, is right. when you start transmitting are you going to screw up somebody else's sure. channel your guy down the block whatever yeah so, so, you, so you started at c-band you had the interlock um, that allowed you to operate to get to get starting with C band, and then as development continued, you made it over to K U band. It really we, we jumped uh, jump quickly. K, everything was was aimed at K band from the beginning. Okay. Okay. So so the very original testing we did we did with 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 some C band equipment, mm-hmm. make sure we could find a satellite that sort of thing. Right. Uh, that was done at C band, but but all of the uh, all of the development and operation was was, yeah. was aimed at K U band from cool. the beginning. Yeah, and 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 because you know this was all recognized up front that 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 we needed KU band for the frequency coordination problem, mm-hmm. but we did we were well into that before we we accepted the fact that that uh, we could design or the system could be designed such that you didn't actually have to do frequency coordination. Sure, that, that it was uh, I, I'd spoken earlier about. Equipment on a on a north sort of drilling rig having to be intrinsically safe. Mm-hmm. You could kind of think of it that in this case the the satellite Earth station that we were deploying was intrinsically safe within the RF environment. Sure. Okay. It it was just not reasonable, or it was not reasonably possible that you were going to interfere with other with other communications because you were completely in this far off band and, so ship and, to shore and, and everything and, else was not going to get yeah. right, you were in its own band and moreover you were pointed at the correct satellite mm-hmm. and so the only way that uh, uh, you potentially could screw up is if you were operating at a slightly wrong, wrong frequency uh, mm-hmm. pointed at a satellite but even that was was uh, could be handled because you initially you establish your initial communication with the satellite through a control channel, mm-hmm. uh, which which is kind of like everybody can talk. On, it's like yeah. air traffic control. Open channel. Everybody yeah. can talk on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, uh, everybody can't talk at once. Right. And so you you do uh, uh, you, you you do you you check to see that you get an incoming signal from the satellite that says okay I'm pointed at the right satellite right uh, you now can uh, talk on the on the control channel basically saying I'm going to talk to this shift over here just a little bit right yep. and uh, and and so it 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 it, it worked out worked yeah. out that way 
Cool. Uh, an interesting, uh, again, an interesting physics problem uh, that, that comes into play uh, with... Um, uh, Satellites it's, and well, Earth. It's, it's data transmission in general, radio. You, okay. You, 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 you basically, uh, you get weather. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it rains uh, in, in, in Oklahoma or Texas. It sometimes rains a lot. You go to any airport and you, you're rolling into a, you know, want to get a beverage before your flight. It's raining. It's delayed. Yep. So where's everybody go? They go to the bar. Mm-hmm. What's bouncing around on the screen? The Direct TV logo because yep. they can't. <laughs> All these people are sitting around and no games to watch because no the watch. weather. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it, 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 it gets to be um, it gets to be an issue. So, uh, to, to, to continue the physics lesson sure. just a little bit, yeah, uh, we talked earlier about um, when you have an antenna, you, mm-hmm. you, you transmit and receive through an antenna. And when you get into uh, highly directed communication, you, you, you want to have a, a beam rather than just broadcast right. to the world. Uh, you want to have a beam, uh, then you, 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 you need to have that be directional. Mm-hmm. And on a, on a geosynchronous satellite that's being used for data transmission, uh, you have an antenna on the satellite, and it has a very broad field of coverage. Right. Okay. It's looking at all of North America, so basically. So it looks at all of North America. And and so people have done calculations of what the gain factor looks like at very various points across the United States, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you do a calculation. You know, you've got this shape of... Uh, of uh, area that the antenna can quote-unquote see mm-hmm. uh, and you can transmit what the gain is going to be at the satellite if you're transmitting say from Los Angeles or you're transmitting from Bangor, Maine. Right. Right. Uh, the, the, the satellite antenna uh, pattern is going to be such that you probably see a slightly different gain between those two locations. So you got distance, you've got angle through the atmosphere, you've got different, I, I mean, you may even go into statistics on what, typical weather patterns and, and right. cloud cover, who knows. Yeah, Yeah. so so all of this was, was pretty much calculated, mm-hmm. uh, right? And and so we... we, <laughs> we we're still convinced in the in the oil patch that this was a was a was a really hard problem, and yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it was. I don't want to d- d- diminish that, but it, it we we were convinced. I think that it was harder than it really was, and so we were very concerned that there were going to be areas in the United States where the actual gain of the antenna on the satellite was going to be too low for us to operate reliably. reliably. Yeah. So when we Got the first couple of sets of equipment, a couple of first couple of Earth stations. Mm-hmm. Uh, we put one, and, and, and I should say they put one. I, sure. I, I was I was contributing to the, the decisions, but just yeah, contributing. This is the team. Yeah. None, nonetheless, we put one of these Earth stations on an actual truck uh, that was operating out of Minot, North Dakota. Okay. Okay, and we put the other in a van and. Uh, 
So we set a, a field engineer and two of his operators in this equipment in a, an electronics van, basically. Uh, road trip. Enough equipment. It, set them on a road trip. <laughs> and the, the, the instructions were pretty much follow the outline of the continental United States and stop every 100 miles and transmit Take a, a data set. Yeah. Yep. Transmit the data set and receive something back and keep track of the error rate that you are able to de- detect on the channel. Right, so this was all digital, so, mm-hmm. so you're keeping track of things in a digital environment. So these guys, they headed out across uh, southern Arizona and down the, the border of Texas and out to Florida, all the way out to Key West. They went all the way to wow. Key West yeah, and then came back and went up the East Coast all the way up to as far northeastern uh, uh, Maine as you could get and then across the... Uh, the roadways, uh, and it, I, I think, yeah. if I remember it right, as they went across the uh, the northern uh, tier of states, there weren't roadways that were right on the border, but they would periodically Pretty stop and run and make a run up to the border. Take a little shoot up to the border. Yep. Hey, boys. We're just... and, and, and so they and they made it all the way over to Seattle and then down the west coast and back to San Diego where they had started. How long did that take them to do that? Uh, about a month. Wow, they were uh, trucking right along. They, they, they did. I mean, this is yeah. this is what they did. It's their and, job. And, but... <laughs> and 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 they 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 pretty much uh, uh, didn't stop very long for. Yeah, uh, I mean, for maybe rest. grab a postcard at the gas station. That's about it. And, and on yeah. you go. So it may have been a little over a month, but it's mm-hmm. month, six weeks, somewhere in, in that range. It's impressive. What was what was kind of humorous at the end is is in the course of that and stopping I, I say every hundred maybe hundred and fifty miles to, mm-hmm. to do a data test. Uh, in the end, they they actually found that the raw channel. This is the this is before you put a communication protocol on top of it. Okay. So you build a protocol such that you can actually operate in the face of errors mm-hmm. in the in the raw channel, right? Uh, but in the raw channel, we had uh, forward error correction pro- error correction protocols in operation, which said that it would they, the, the raw channel actually tried to correct errors. It, it anticipated that you had a, a noisy channel, hmm. and so it would transmit bits redundantly, uh, 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 would not not entirely redundant, but uh, uh, something like uh, let's say. Uh, Five eights. You you transmit eight bits in order to get five bits through, and there are mathematical. So were there check bits and? Yeah, they're, they're mathematical. Yeah. They're a, yeah. actually mathematical uh, formula for okay. forward error correction, uh, where where you, you do that. You you, you you transmit eight bits and you you mm-hmm. massage it all out, and then at the other end you decode it. It's, it's really like a code. So you, you encode five bits within an eight-bit pattern. Okay. And at the other end, you take the eight-bit pattern and you extract you five You get back bits. to five. And, yeah. Right. And, and so there's redundancy mm-hmm. built into that uh, a bit. So uh, uh, you can handle a little a, a bit of an error. If, if, if within the eight bits you get a, one of them is an error, uh, you can still reconstruct the five bits that you're interested hmm. in. Yeah. It's just the way forward error correction protocols work. Okay. And, and so, uh, that said, looking just at the raw channel, so out mm-hmm. of those five bits, if you will, 
are any of those in error. Right. And that's what we were greatly concerned about. That, okay. That, that we were going to see errors in the. So you're errors. looking at the errors, and then would it change the gain, like on the antenna? Would the power go up, or no, would, would no, they actually, tweak actually, that at all? Actually, we built we built there there, there, there were higher level protocols on top of that, which mm-hmm. could operate in the face of errors. Okay. Mm-hmm. So okay. if you if you routinely lost. Uh, had one of the five bits in error, mm-hmm. in essence, a, 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 a 20% error rate. Mm-hmm. You could still operate, uh, but it would meant that you were you were you were you were, you were putting a lot more data across that. You, you right. might you to- might be transmitting. Uh, you might be transmitting 500 bits in order to get 100 bits through. I okay. It's okay. Not that extreme, but right. Say that. So you had higher level protocols that could correct error rates in the raw channel. Okay. But you didn't want to have to operate in a higher error rate condition in that yeah. in that raw channel, and that's what we were concerned about. Okay. That's why we sent these guys on the road trip. Right. I mean, we were wanting to, to we'll see, see what, what it's really like out there. Right. Yeah. So we we were anticipating, you know, some some small number of percent in errors, mm-hmm. uh, uh, error rate in the raw data channel. It turns out that after they made this one trip, we we we, we, we had three three bits that were in error, and all of the all of the transmissions that they you had did, to patch up three bits. Three bits. Of we basically four to we, six we could, weeks of data. And we could name them. <laughs> George, Bob, and Larry. Pretty much it. Yes, and, uh, the, the, yeah. the, the three error, the three bits in error had uh, that. So Larry Moon Curly. Right. We, we found out. We found out that the that the satellite channel was far ridiculously more solid. Yes, it, yeah. it really was very very robust for us. I mean, the, that'll uh, ma- that'll make your day. It, it really did. It really did, and it it, it meant that uh, that uh, the equipment when you when you put it in operation mm-hmm. was uh, uh, was very stable, very good. So that would have been pretty early, I guess. I mean, as soon as you all um, had gone to maybe your first MVP, your multiple, you know, your your minimal viable project, program, product, whatever, it was put it in the van and and set it loose. Now where are we? I mean, are we are, are we we fired up a factory to make these yet, or just pretty much, pretty much, yep. yeah. Now this was uh, we, we we were originally we were slated to be able to produce up to I think 500 of these uh, units. Earth station or mobile Earth, mobile Earth stations. Mobile stations. Yeah. Now uh, and 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 so naturally the world being what it is, as we started to deploy this whole system. This was would have been in the 1984-85 okay. time frame. Yeah. Which, if you recall the history of the oil patch at that point, was the the place where the American drilling environment was literally going away. Yep. It was uh, we were losing uh, 10% of the active drilling rigs per month. Wow. And literally went from uh, I want to say 83 maybe time frame having. As I remember, it maybe a thousand drilling rigs in the in the North America. So I assume that was uh, geopolitical, basically dumping oil on the market by OPEC or, or so yeah. forth, and, and basically um, the the usual oil supply warfare going on around the world. Yep. And it just was one of those. I mean, we go through these, not to totally change the subject, but 
you're right. You, you have you can't just assume in these stories and, and and history does that to us is that something comes out sideways and doesn't fit your business plan, right? Because you're you've got this technology that's going to make your business far more efficient, far more effective, but now the market for it is greatly constrained due to no. Well, here we are. Kind yep. of thing. This is it. So, and, and that's that's what happened pretty okay. much uh, mm-hmm. in, in concert with um, with uh, us being able to roll out and deploy this uh, system in full operation. Mm-hmm. The the oil business in the in North America, at any rate, pretty much went back to zero. Yeah. About as close to zero as you could get. I, I think maybe at the I'm, I'm pretty sure that at the uh, at the at the nadir of it. Uh, there were, I don't know, I, w- I want to say under 100 and perhaps even under 50 drilling rigs in North America that were operating. Wow. It, was a, it was an incredibly small number for, for a, a short period of time. It was a yeah. kind of a kind of a V shape. It was the valley. Uh, yeah. yeah the, 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 the peak of the valley was, right. uh, was <laughs> the a sharp very low point of the valley was there. So we ended up uh, we ended up never uh, really de- fully deploying as many. Uh, these earth stations as we could have mm-hmm. but uh, I think that uh, by the 86 uh, 87 time frame as the as the oil business came back we, we pretty much had an earth station on every truck you were ready to go for it that, yeah that went out and uh, we, we could transmit data uh, uh, perhaps as uh, equally uh, uh, impactful if you will was the fact that we, we had a, a telephone. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. this earth station uh, not only supported data transmission, but it gave you a telephone. Yeah, and and yeah. Uh, we we had a, uh, the physics of the situation are that if you want a very small earth station at one end of a of a channel, it really helps if you have a really big earth station at the other end. Okay. Okay. So so you have we we we, we had a uh, uh, what we think of as a spoke and hub. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, configuration. We would have one large earth station that could communicate with lots of small earth stations. Okay. And they're all going through the same satellite. And they're all going through the same satellite. And so that, that meant essentially that from every anywhere in the United States, when you transmitted a signal from a well site, you came back to a single point within the United States, mm-hmm. and then you you connected to terrestrial, terrestrial networks, networks to... there. Okay. And that that location, incidentally, was in Denver, okay. Colorado. That was that was kind of we thought, well, yeah. it's the middle of the country, right? Mm, yeah. And uh, it's, it was it's, it's it was, in the middle of oil country. It, it was is pretty much middle of oil country. Yeah. And so we had a had a, a large earth station that and it's uh, closer to the satellite. It. it <laughs> <laughs> and that's not that's not quite true, well, right? Yeah. The, the, the satellite is south. Yeah. Yeah. South, you know, the yeah. whole angle, we're doing triangles and yeah, stuff, but, triangles, but yeah. yeah, you try to tell somebody from Denver that they're not closer to the sky. Well, they are closer to the sky. They're not close to the sky over the equator, but yeah. Yeah. So, so, so you had a good, you had a good, uh, you had a good earth, uh, you had a good data transmission capability, but you also yeah. had a telephone, you picked it up and you got a Denver dial tone. So that, yeah. And the, <laughs> and, and so you could dial locally there, which that's another story for another day of yeah, yeah. me running a phone booth out of my hotel room in Japan yeah. <laughs> with a little Vonage box many years later, uh, kind of doing similar thing. But 
along that time, as you're developing this uh, digital satellite capability, part of the um, discussion earlier was to be able to get that data back to a central site for analysis. And even, I I suppose, at some point, um, Houston was a key recipient of that. It, It may have had its own small than smaller than Denver, but may have had an Earth station there. But where I'm going with this is in the United States, the terrestrial network was being built up significantly over that period of time to where it made it feasible for you to have that one place and then you could distribute it everywhere else. Yeah, actually, I've, I've, I've totally discounted uh, half of the system that was developed. Okay. <laughs> well, we've got time. All right. Well, so so the interesting point, what well, you you've 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 led into it, uh, either intentionally or unintentionally, which was that the terrestrial uh, network uh, in the in the United States was still starting to build up, and so mm-hmm. to get a high speed connection. Uh, by a terrestrial link from Denver to, let's say, Traverse City, Michigan, Michigan, mm-hmm. was non-trivial, Mm-mm. and we recognized that going in, and so we actually had another half of this whole development, which was a uh, what's called a time division multiplex network, mm-hmm. a TDMA network, uh, which was in itself satellite-based. Uh, in this case, it was C-band based. Okay. Uh, no, I take that back. It was still KU band. Okay. Well. We used the, we used the same satellite transponder. Mm-hmm. But we had developed uh, had developed for us uh, the equipment uh, uh, that we could. At I think we designed it for either it was either twelve or sixteen remote locations around the United States where we had division offices. Mm-hmm that uh, we wanted this to be, those to be the endpoints of our high-speed channels from the well site. Okay. So we had a, a, a hub out of Denver that talked to the well site side of the system, mm-hmm. and that also talked to the, if you will, division office side of the system, which was a TDMA network, uh, which was satellite-based as well. Those used, uh, we used uh, five-meter diameter dishes, uh, for that side of the uh, the equation, and we located these around uh, at division offices around the United States. So Houston had one, New Orleans had one, and so you would interconnect the two networks at the hub facility okay. in Denver, and you would run a 500 kilobit channel from a well site to an office in Denver in uh, Houston. So you'd 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 use the network that we just developed here in the last couple episodes to get the well site data to Denver and then adjacent to that dish that was receiving the information from the satellite from the well site it goes in the building it gets routed out to another set of dishes or it's another same, dish same dish that's the same dish out. same satellite the same satellite wow. so yep just to, all just those to eggs in one basket cooking yeah. right along and then you just put bigger dishes Right. Out at the at the um, because you could so, because so you could you, you didn't yeah. you didn't uh, end up using as much power out of the satellite exactly you had better, uh, so, so you had bigger ears bigger ears yep and uh, and so we had that operation so so cool uh, that was a, that was an incredibly complex but also incredibly uh, innovative 
yeah. uh, capability for the time. And efficient uh, for the time, really. Oh, yeah. 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 So very much so. Cool. And, uh, and, and literally, interestingly enough, uh, as a security person, you recognize the fact that, that uh, we actually had end-to-end encryption. Uh, so they, the data that was transmitted was encrypted at the well site, and mm. it was not decrypted until it got to the... To the Houston, regional site or Houston whatever. office, right. Yeah. Which meant that you had encrypted, an encrypted channel going across that interface between the two networks in in uh, Denver. Wow. That's a whole other level of uh, interest. That, that's uh, that's yeah. uh, that, and, and we both recognize that that's a, uh, that's a, that's a big deal. That's a big deal in those that. days, for oh, sure. Yeah. With the compute power would need to... And, and never mind key distribution and <laughs> all the you know, key rotate. I mean, anytime your man key management system is key, key management was interesting. If, uh, the one thing I do remember of it is that uh, that we had we 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 could do we could do one k of channels. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay, so the the, the 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 actual key management system was a. Uh, essentially, a pred- spreadsheet that was run on a, uh, a uh, secure. Uh, uh, I, I, I can't remember the details, but we basically had a, a thousand twenty-four by thousand twenty-four matrix of keys, so that uh, <laughs> uh, you, you, you kept track of you kept track of the keys, but for uh, for every channel that you had in in operation and you could manipulate those keys was that like a giant one-time pad that just you basically had at both ends yep pretty much it okay (laughs) so it was it was extremely secure it was extremely manual uh, yeah (laughs) if if you will from the from this i I say manual from the standpoint that uh you know you 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 couldn't have handled millions of channels no no but but for this constrained private network you basically just had all right we're using key 17 today pretty much and for a thousand for a thousand channels you could get away with it and we never had a thousand channels right never never running at the same time because you yeah well that's cool i'm sorry i'm just makes my mind go it's kind of cool and it it is it is it it, 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 it's one of those interesting things that that uh as a as a technical nerd or as a couple mm-hmm. of technical nerds thinking about it, uh, it's it's interesting for me looking back at how much how how innovative how complex and what a what a technical marvel that whole thing was, and it probably was only appreciated if you will by a very few people, mm-hmm. a few tens of people <laughs> as a matter of fact. That, that really understand understood uh, what was there, and uh, and so you you run into that periodically. You'll run into I, I guess in the in the world in general. You'll sometimes run into a situation where in one area you need a capability, and to provide that capability, you have to do some incredibly innovative development in a different area, mm-hmm. and the area that's paying for it never fully appreciates. What's what's behind the screen? Exactly, yeah. And uh, that that was very much a case in point there. We see a lot of that today. I mean, I I, I think a lot of people in um, who believe there there's I don't know, just to generalize and 
talk while you take a sip so you can get your voice back. <laughs> but but um, so some of the there there are the people that are literally in in the weeds. I mean, you were in the weeds at that level. There were people that you were working with that were even further in the weeds, into, into the RF and satellite stuff and everything else. Right. right. So there's these different levels. As you get more and more specialized, the math gets crazier and crazier. The, um, the, the challenges are just, they're very knife-edged right at that point. And, and you got to figure it out or the stuff above it just doesn't happen. And, it, and that's kind of re- rinse and repeat, you know, turtles all the way down. Well, it's turtles all the way up as well. So the, the business manager is probably like, man, we, 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 this is risky. And then the other guy's like, yeah, but the reward, mm-hmm. right? So you, you're always doing that at whatever level you're at. Yeah. And one of the things that I believe just being a, a really young kid at that time, right? So I was maybe in 1980, I was 11 years old. And just seeing things like Soyuz, you know, Apollo Soyuz and, and things like that that I remember seeing on TV. And the my dad would go into the gas station and he'd pull out his uh, Standard Oil of Ohio card. And it didn't mag stripe. It went into a mechanical roller thing, and you'd get back this carbon piece of paper, whatever. There was no network at that point. There was it, that came later, and mm-hmm. and as we know in Europe, they bypassed a lot of that terrestrial data transmission. So, to to see this from the the American perspective, we. We developed our terrestrial data networks, our modems and, and, and lines that could reliably communicate data terrestrially. That's kind of where I was kind of talking earlier to see, you know, there's that whole trend that was going on. Whereas over in Europe, they went straight to GSM. Right. And we were using CDMA, just totally different technologies, but to do similar things. And eventually we get to where we are now, where everything almost is IP driven. Yeah. And, and it's... The, the network is pervasive. I mean, sure, we saw Dick Tracy phones on people's wrists and cartoons in the paper uh, back when we used to have newspapers uh, pro- prolifically. But now everybody's dealing with a different stack just at a different level. Right. And, and, and the work that it takes to keep that chaos under control so that you can plan to build to the next thing, I think that's a lot of... We're just so used to new and exciting things. Oh, well, sure, they'll fig- figure something out. Meanwhile, just the energy it takes to keep things working reliably is, uh, is it's, it's all still going on. Well, I, I, it, it, I, I've had the dinner stick again, looking, looking back from, from a position of advancing years uh, to, to see how technolog- technological innovation and technological change impacts us uh, down at, at very mundane levels, mm-hmm. and and you touched on you touched on a, a point with, with with newspapers or with with reading material. Yeah. Uh, in my younger years, uh, I I developed developed the habit, not the habit. Well, it was a habit. In high school, uh, uh, a tenth grade uh, American history class, the mm-hmm. instructor 
wanted us to be a little bit more aware of current events. Okay. And so we subscribed, each person in the class subscribed to uh, a daily newspaper out of Oklahoma City, mm -hmm. the, 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 the Daily Oklahoman. Okay. Uh, so the, the closest thing that uh, we could probably get to a, to a, uh, a newspaper dealing with national and international issues. We, we had a very small newspaper in the, in the little town in Sarah, in Oklahoma, Sarah. where okay. I grew up. But uh, it handled mostly local issues, yeah. right? You, mm -hmm. you know, you you wanted to hear about the quilting club or what have you. you What's you playing at the movie theater, that stuff. Yep. But if you wanted to uh, to, to really follow uh, national and international events, you went to a larger newspaper, the Daily yep. Oklahoman. Mm -hmm. In this American history class, the instructor basically got us subscriptions uh, to that. And so every day we'd show up in class and we'd get our newspaper and we'd spend half of our class wow. uh, or so reading the uh, uh, reading the newspaper. And then we would have, periodically, we'd have tests on current events and the like, but mm -hmm. uh, we, we, the, we, we, we developed the uh, a habit, the habit mm -hmm. of reading the newspaper, and, and that, that became a significant part of, of my life as I went on that I, mm -hmm. I really needed to start every day reading through the newspaper. So when I would... Uh, when I would go to breakfast, if I if I had breakfast out, or if I got into my office and hadn't seen it, I would sit down with my my uh, little donuts and my glass <laughs> of milk, and I would would read the newspaper. Right. Right. Uh, I would come into the in those days. I come into the equivalent of the the uh, of the uh, uh, little restaurant that we're in today. Uh -huh. uh, I'd go in and I'd uh, pull out my newspaper and I'd have my yeah. coffee or eat breakfast. I'd read I remember newspaper. seeing you with it. I mean, not it, that ten years ago. Yeah. But today, newspapers are, uh, for for a whole slew of reasons, have 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 gone into some almost disfavor uh, yeah. a bit. Certainly, I I'd never read a newspaper anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, for again, for a variety of reasons. On the other hand, uh, I hate reading news on my phone. Yeah. I just won't do it. Yeah. And so how's that affected me? That's affected me by essentially putting me in a mode where when I come into a place like this, I don't read, I write. Right. So I carry my little, I yep. carry my little briefcase with my pad of paper yep. and a journal. And, uh, and I you just engage your writing process. I, I yeah. do. And I, so something occurs to me, I write it down. If I that, and when I get back home, I fire up my computer with my uh, with my uh, uh, browser 30, and, 36 yeah. inch screen, and <laughs> yeah. uh, and I read. Uh, and you go looking for information based on what you were developing. In concept and, and, and just Certainly. for background and, and, right. and, 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 yeah. and, and I and I, I read I read sure. a, a variety of blogs that, uh, mm -hmm. that that deal with current events mm -hmm. and so I use those as pointers to go look up so I sure. when I when I read about news I, I'm getting much closer to uh, if you will original sources mm -hmm. of information I, mm -hmm. I don't look to a newspaper to aggregate that I I, I use uh, to the extent uh, blogs and, and newspaper sites as pointers to get to mm -hmm. much more uh, specific uh, either papers, uh, you know, somebody, yeah. so a newspaper article quotes a, 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 a publication, you know, from the American uh, Medical Association. Exactly. I go find you go the Go straight paper. to the, to that. Yeah. And yeah. at least read the abstract. 
Sure. You know, I'd love, I'd love to, yeah. I'd lo- love to, you, you can get an awful lot of information out of an abstract, and mm-hmm. uh, if that looks uh, looks promising, then you go read the, the article itself, and yeah. you, you kind of sidetrack all of the fact checkers and the that big, are going to help you. And the big difference there between, say, when you were reading it in a newspaper in, say, 1985 or something, you really didn't, unless you went to the library and got out the microfiche and you, and you went back, and by the way, that's that's optical film <laughs> and you're you're scrolling through it uh for some folks I, I i've been acing these tests lately of your gen x if and you go through the list and the one i i the one i had only missed on was having a myspace account i never messed with myspace so yeah. anyway that was the only one i met but i had the aol and the, and well, the I, modems I, I, but but you you really had to physically move yourself somewhere else to look for these original sources, whereas today you can reliably click the link, go to that source, go to who they reference, and like we say, we call them bunny trails. You can go down a bunny trail to find out, oh, that study actually ran from this point in time to that point in time. So then you can look back up through the trace of references and see how it may or may not have actually been relevant to the conclusion that was drawn at the top level article. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 I personal, I guess a note of personal history, I uh, went to graduate school at Rice University in Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I loved graduate school. Mm-hmm. It, it was, it was, uh, first couple of years were, were kind of tough uh, uh, because I concentrated on coursework mm-hmm. and, and, uh, uh, I got all of uh, all of the coursework from my uh, PhD program out of the way, quote unquote, if you will, during the first couple of years. But after that, I was doing research, mm-hmm. and uh, research meant uh, uh, get in, get up at uh, get up at noon, <laughs> yeah. uh, head into school, go to the gym, uh, work out at the gym, and then uh, go to the library, have dinner, and about long about seven o'clock in the evening start my work day. the work day begins yeah. that's right and the work, work day was you know seven in the evening until five o'clock in the morning right yeah. uh, uh for a variety of reasons but built into that was a was a, a an hour or two window pretty much every day in which i i i, I kind of recognized at that time that never in my life was i going to have an opportunity for for just pure self-directed study right if you will going straight to what if or what if why or yeah and so i i undertook uh first one but it turned out to be two interesting projects for me uh buried in the stacks uh, uh at, at the rice library were uh archives of newspapers and news magazines and so i set out to read every new york times daily issue from 1914 through 1919. And for those listening, this doesn't surprise me about Tim at all. <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> no. <laughs> Tim's going to get to the bottom of it. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, so, uh, you know, they, they had they literally, they, 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 they had uh, uh, books, if you will, the size of this tabletop. So mm-hmm. we're, we're mm-hmm. looking at a, uh, let's call it a four foot by three foot or yeah. something like that, 
uh, area, well, the, the, the New York Times was the daily issues were kind of pa- embalmed into these, embalmed bound into these, into these books. books. Yeah. And so you, you found out where those were positioned within the library. And I would just beat my way down there every day, and I, I literally would go through wow. each of those uh, things, pull, pull it out, put it out on the table, and read through it. And I say read through it. I, oh, know, yeah. It's, I'd scan it. Yeah. You, you look at headlines. You weren't really looking at the advertisements too much, but, no, but, but you, they but do tell did, a story. They do tell a story. You yeah. did look at the advertising. Yeah, absolutely. So what, I, what the, my, my purpose was to get something of I, I recognize now I'm not sure I would have characterized it then but I wanted to get a cultural perspective of World War one huh. and so starting in 1914 right reading through you, you the New York Times so first of all you you got this image of something that was happening over there. You know, mm-hmm. it was not here. It was over there. Right. And so not every article was about the war or the war effort. Sure. For many years until he got to about 1917. Okay. And then all of a sudden, yeah, and you could, you could, you could track it through the, through the front page. Through the size of the headlines or. And, and, and yeah, the stories. The fonts. And, you, and yeah. you literally could see the war coming towards mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was something very remote in 1914. By 1917, it was getting almost local. Right. By 1918, whenever we sure we uh, or late 17. Yeah. Whenever we sent uh, American troops. Yep. It 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 consumed the paper at that point, and then into 1919 as it wound down. Mm-hmm. So, I I got a I got a sense of the the cultural impact of that war. Uh, from a United States perspective, mm-hmm. and from the perspective of, of a single newspaper, of basically the you know, for most of last century, the New York Times was the the, the old gray lady. It was it was it was where you it was the, to learn. It's where you went. Yeah, and and yeah, it was it was kind of the only national newspaper that really right. carried the day. Mm-hmm. But you but you got stories on a daily basis, right? Mm-hmm. So so yep. so something happened today, you you might get a story tomorrow that followed up on it, right? Yep. So I I, I that that was my first project. Cool. So I went through World War One, mm-hmm. uh, the World War One era, reading a daily newspaper. Well, then I wanted to to. Uh, Address World War Two, right? At, 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 at those a few days. more years involved in that, but yeah. <laughs> and, and, so, so yeah. That, and that, so that became a point. In fact, the World War World War Two really lasted from 1932 through 1946. Right. And I didn't have the <laughs> the, the, the inclination or time, I think, to do it on a daily basis. So sure. I decided to address that through a weekly news magazine. Okay. And so I did it through Time, Time. Magazine. Yeah. Okay. And and and, and the, the library had archives of Time Magazine, just as they had had archives of the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And so, starting in 1932, I I read every Time Magazine issue uh, between 1932 and 1946. And so I got a I got. Yeah. A, a, a slightly different. What do we call yeah. quantization level? Time, time, time's going to address things differently in a weekly and a in a smaller format, glossy as opposed to the and, 
and a lot newspaper. more and a lot bigger pictures. Yeah, <laughs> which was really great. I'll bet. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, Time's it was, always been known for their photographers and right? photography and yeah. And so, so it yeah. was. Good. I, 1932 was a, an incredibly fascinating year. Interesting, because you you saw the the Franklin Roosevelt came into office, I guess in 1933, mm-hmm. uh, but was uh, well, the election was uh, was 32, and Adolf Hitler came into power in 32, and so literally from the beginning you could you could track two of the central personalities of the World War II era right. in Franklin Roosevelt and Adolf Hitler. So they were kind of a side-by-side comparison. Mm-hmm. And then coming in from the periphery, you had Joseph Stalin, mm-hmm. and you had uh, uh, Mussolini and uh, Winston Churchill. And, yeah. and, so and you had big changes going in all of those countries. I mean, these were these were leaders who, however they were elected, you know, different obviously different countries but every we're coming out of a global depression and you've got the new deal in the united states you've got who knows you know revolution there or the the echoes of revolution in the in what at this point is the soviet union and mussolini and everything else so and, and you've got the german still reeling from the uh End of World War One, right. which created the the, Weimar, the fertile the, the, the Weimar, Weimar Republic. Weimar Republic. Weimar which, Republic. Which yep. I, I've read uh, even recently, you know that 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 uh, you didn't get Hitler from Germany, if you will. You got Hitler from the Weimar Republic. Yeah. Uh, that 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 was a necessary precursor to getting Hitler. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, very telling. You had. Winston Churchill uh, meandering in the desert. He was Moses yeah. uh, wandering about Sinai in those those years. He mm-hmm. was he was, uh, uh, if you will, a, a more conservative uh, uh, politician in a and a and a, a, a much more astute uh, with respect to international politics, a much more astute politician. Packaging, yeah. yeah in, and, in an era yeah. where Britain wanted to, didn't want anything to do with war. Yep. And they were they were very much into very liberal, mm-hmm. uh, almost socialist uh, 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 political, in, uh, System, political environment. Yeah. And, and so Churchill was... Very much the voice in the wilderness in those years, uh, for, yeah. for, at least during the 1930s, and and so I, I that was my my second big project. So that, to, yeah, to get the, the cultural perspective. Uh, How'd you work that into a physics degree? Just kidding, but you know. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, I, I thought I thought I did pretty good with that <laughs> until until I realized at at the end of it that I, I had at least one classmate that not only went through. A PhD program at Rice, but went through law school at the same time. <laughs> well, you 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 got at least a master's degree in world history, uh, as, uh, you I, know, without I, the paper. Without the paper, yes, right. I, I, I should have, yes, very very much so. And, uh, yeah, you did uh, all right with your PhD in physics and everything else. Actually, was, I mean, it was it was it was cool. It was a it was a great time. Fantastic. Uh, well, I I appreciate you sharing that, and you know, we'll kind of wrap it up for today, I guess, and uh, yeah, we're. As everybody knows, we could just keep talking. And 
this doesn't I, end. I, just... I think I probably like you. I, I when I when I uh, my wife asked me last evening, or if, 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 if said, are you, you and Mike going to get together tomorrow? And I said, yeah. And I said, I I really can't hardly wait to see what it is that we talk about. Yeah. Because literally, when we uh, stepped with the microphone here, I had absolutely no idea what we were going to talk about. No, that. It that's may, how we may roll. not have been interesting, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as well. That's why we keep doing it. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Tim. Good to see you. See you next time. All righty. Bye. And that brings to a close episode 22 of the Mike Newman Show, uh, where Tim and I had a good old discussion about uh, eventually getting the uh, satellite communications out to the trucks and and how some of that integrated with the, with the land-based network as well. And a little bit of a discussion continuing into uh, some of the interesting things he was able to do uh, during his, quote, spare time, uh, this is my quote, in uh, at Rice University, um, making use of the just the different ways that um, just – Compare, comparing and contrasting a little bit of how we gather information, learn information and news these days compared to how uh, things were back in the uh, early 70s. So um, anyway, just another great conversation with, with Tim and looking forward to the next time we get together. Uh, this episode was basically delayed a week because we, um, well, we had a little bit of a weather event here in central Texas with a bunch of ice on trees and tree limbs down and everything. And still cleaning up a bit on that. Just um, had the opportunity to, to do a little bit of that, um, helping out some on the side last Saturday. So we, we got to our got to our discussion today. Um, but this is, um, it's a value for value um, project of mine, really. It's a bit of a hobby, but also interesting to see how uh, podcasting is evolving. And one of the key elements of that, if not the key element, is something called Podcasting 2.0, which... Um, you can go out to uh, podcastindex.org. Uh, it's a good place to start. And one of the key components of that is the the value for value model. And I'll just say basically it's it's returning value that you may have gained by just enjoying this podcast and you want to send a, a howdy back or um, uh, a little bit of a little bit of coin out of appreciation or or whatnot. Um, you can send that back through you know for communication purposes just. Uh, drop us an email at mike at mikenewman.show. Uh, check out the website, mikenewman.show. It's got a lot of, you can listen to the podcast there, but uh, you'll get a better experience by using a, a new podcast app. And in the past, you've heard me talk about newpodcastapps.com, which will take you to a page that shows you applications for Android, iOS, and um, basically things you can, uh, apps you can use in your browser as well. Um, there's a new easy to remember, easier to remember uh, URL out there website. It's podcastapps.com. So something nice and simple. And then as you filter through there, you'll see that uh, there are six ways to send value back. Uh, either streaming Satoshi's or Boostagrams. Um, apps like Podverse, CurioCaster, Fountain, Castomatic, and Breeze. If you're a super nerd and you're, you have your own little node and you want to send lightning through the boost command line interface, uh, there's, a, there's a tool for that too. So um, podcastapps.com. Well, look forward to uh, the next time Tim and I get together. And until then, John 317.